the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Praise the Lord, everybody. How are you doing? Ron Geyer, End Time Insights. Thanks for listening. You know, it's an honor for us to come here every week. We appreciate the whole dynamic, the whole process by which God was able to get us on the radio. We had very little to do with it. They were all divine appointments. But at the end of the day, here we are. And, you know, we, we don't take this privilege slash responsibility in a light manner. We know what God's called us to do. We know what he's called us to teach. We know how he's told us to present it to you. So today, I know I've been threatening to do this for a while, but we are going to start teaching from the book of Revelation. It is a tremendous book. It is a tremendous place to get to know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a tremendous opportunity to know him as he chooses to reveal himself to the churches, bypassing other writers, uh, just going straight to the church, Jesus Christ, even the Gospels. I love the Gospels, yet this is to me, a far more better way to know who Jesus is. And at the end of the day, the whole idea of any Bible study is to know Jesus better. And there isn't a better book, in my opinion, the Gospels included, for doing that, which does a better job of revealing Christ than the book of Revelation. That's why it's called the book of Revelation, because it reveals Jesus Christ, who is the central theme in the book. The lessons that we teach and the word that we share, they're designed to do just that. You know, we've been criticized, my wife and I, in the past. We've been denied teaching assignments in the past because we were told that we were too (laughs) word-based. And yet, you know, you cannot know God apart from knowing his word. The more you know the word, the more you know God. The more you obey the word, the more you get to be intimate with God through Jesus Christ. So let's get started. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to tell you things you're going to love to hear these things, truth that you've never heard before. You're going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to meet him as the head of the church. You will meet him as he defends his church. You're going to meet him as he protects his church. You will get to know him not only as a lover of your soul, as a lover of his church, but you're going to see Jesus Christ as he judges and corrects the church. He's constantly cleansing it from sin. He's surgically repairing it and removing cancers from compromise and carnality and cowardice, corruption. The information that we're going to give you is going to startle you, I promise you. So much of this you have never heard before. So get some friends, pull up a seat, listen together, check out the podcast if you miss them, kkht.com, go to programs, click on podcasts, and there we are. If you miss a teaching, Go there, because I promise you, you have never heard this information before, and you are about to meet a Jesus that you have never seen before. This stuff doesn't get preached in mainline churches. It's too intense. But not here. Hallelujah. We're excited to do it. 
The book of Revelation, hallelujah, the writer of the book is John Divine, John the Apostle, and he was given the assignment of writing it. It took place probably in A.D. 94-95, but he is not the author of the book. The author of the book is Jesus. We'll spend maybe eight weeks on the first four chapters of this book, maybe longer, I take that back. It took us eight weeks to teach it in Bible study, and those are hour and 20-minute, hour and a half lessons. We could be here right through the summer, but I promise you, it's going to be worth your while. You're going to get to know Jesus as you've never known him before. So specifically, these chapters, the first three chapters were written to reveal Jesus Christ, the head of the church. They not only reveal Jesus Christ, the head of the church, but they also reveal the church. And it's a wonderful dynamic. You're going to see the relationship, both the good and and the bad between Christ and the early church, seven churches from that time in that space of Western Turkey. Many ignorant pastors and Bible teachers, they still don't discern the nearness of the times. You know, Jesus Christ, his return is imminent. Uh, Jan Markell, a true uh, woman who speaks for the, the prophetic voice about the return of Christ, she says, we're one minute to midnight. And I think we're even less than that. But, you know, it's so obvious the signs are mounting for this view. I was in a Bible, a prayer meeting the other day, and the person said, well, you know, you know, Christ could come today or he couldn't come for another hundred years yet. And I, I wanted to stop. This is a knowledgeable person, but I want to say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. He can't come in a hundred years. This is the last generation. And the sign of the last generation is the rebirth of Israel on May 14th, 1948. That alone tells you that this is the time. We are 72 years into that last generation. Even if you think that the last generation is a hundred years, well, then it's only 28 years more. But I'm telling you, the birth of Israel, May 14th, 1948, signals almost a stoppage in time for the grace age where the prophetic clock is about to kick in, where God returns to dealing with Israel during the seven-year tribulation. But before that happens, he removes his church because the church is not destined for tribulation. We have not been appointed unto wrath. So everything is printed out in the Bible as it's supposed to happen. And here we are now. The return of Christ is imminent. The removal of the church through the rapture is even closer than that. This book of Revelation, it actually spans four different ages, if you will. Remember, God measures time, not like we do, but he measures time in ages. And we use minutes, hours, days, years, decades, and centuries, but he's a big God. He measures time in ages. So in the book of Revelation, the first three chapters are the church age. You're going to see where Jesus identifies himself as who he is. He reveals himself to the churches. He commends us. He rebukes us. He corrects us. In some cases, he'll even judge us and destroy us. But he always ends with a promise. He always ends with good news for the hope of a church that will repent and begin to obey God. First three chapters deal with the church age. Chapters 4 through 19, that's all about the tribulation, the seven-year period. That is broken down into the tribulation, the first three and a half years, and the great tribulation, the second three and a half years. Chapter 20 talks about the kingdom age, where we, the millennial reign of Christ, where we, who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, who have obeyed him, who have learned to rule and reign on the earth now, will actually rule and reign with him in the millennial reign of Christ. And then chapters 21 and 22 talk about the eternal age. Wow, this is exciting. Anyway, let me get started. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, God gave it unto Jesus, 
to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and he signified this revelation by his angel, his messenger, unto his servant John. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's given to Jesus by God, by God the Father, and it's all about Jesus. This is written in the sense that this revelation belongs to Jesus. It not only belongs to Jesus, it's also about Jesus. Jesus is the person who is revealed in this book. The secondary purpose of this particular book is to show God's servants, us, the future, things that will be. If it was written to reveal the future to God's servants, then it's a book that must be studied, right? And it must be studied by his servants. It's written to reveal God's will to his servants. That's us. You know, we get confused lots of times because we think only the first three chapters of the book of Revelation in chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, that we think that that's all that talks about the church. But no, even though the church is removed, there are things further on in the book that we need to know about. For instance, the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast isn't revealed until later in the book. I think it's chapter 8, 9, or 10, somewhere in there. But it's important that we know that so that we can warn people about the dangers of taking the mark of the beast, where no one can buy or sell unless they get that mark. We are seeing a forerunner of the mark of the beast in the vaccine. People are going to be refused jobs. They're going to be refused assignments, teaching assignments. They're not going to be allowed to fly if they don't have proof that they took the vaccine. It's an amazing scenario that we're living in today. And that's just another sign how close the return of Christ is. Everything is being set. Don't forget, two things are happening. The church is being prepared for the rapture, the removal, and the world is being prepared to receive its counterfeit king, the Antichrist. Both of these things are happening synonymously. And the book of Revelation talks about this. Uh, It doesn't say that when is revealing the will of God in the future to his servants. The word there is doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, and it's a slave servant. It most commonly means someone who is in subjection without being in bondage. Our service to God is of our own free will. He doesn't force us to do anything. You know, from the outset, we were given the most important truth about the book of Revelation. This book, it also shows us the Antichrist. It shows us God's judgment. It shows us future calamity on the earth. It shows us mystery Babylon in vivid detail. Most of all, though, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ to us. Jesus revealing himself to us. Don't forget, you get in heaven by who you know. Well, here we are. The book of Revelation written by the Lord Jesus is an attempt by him to reveal himself to us. If we catch everything else in the book, but we miss Jesus, then we have missed the book of Revelation. Dave Gusick wrote that. How? Man, we need a revelation of Jesus. We're living in a church today that doesn't know who Jesus is. We've reinvented God in the image of man. You know, it was man made in the image of God. Well, mankind, and so in love with himself, has reinvented God in our own image. And we associate carnality with our God because that's who we are. And we've missed the revelation of who God is through Jesus Christ because we're too busy living out our lives in love with ourselves instead of dying to ourselves, living out our lives in service to God. That's what we've done. Romans talks about that. We need a revelation of Jesus. Spurgeon puts it this way. The great fault of many professors is that Christ is to them a character upon a piece of paper. Certainly more than a myth, but yet a person of the dim past, an historical figure who lived many years ago, and he did great things, most admirable deeds. A person who 
is in the past, and yet by which we are saved, this person, who is far from being a living, present, bright reality. The point he's making is we've left Jesus in the past. We haven't brought him into the future. Spurgeon wrote that. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a living, breathing Savior for all of us who call upon the name of the Lord. He lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. He sent us his Holy Spirit to represent him. He said, I'll never leave you alone. I'll never leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you the one who comforts you. Me in the form of the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. He lives inside us and he reveals the things that we need to know. John said this, John five thirty nine in the Amplified, you search and you keep on searching and examining the scriptures because you think that in the scriptures you have eternal life. And yet it is in those very scriptures that tell you about me. It's amazing. This is what we need to understand. The scriptures are designed to reveal who Jesus Christ is. If you don't know the scriptures, then you can't know Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter one, verse one goes on. Jesus is here to reveal to us things which must shortly come to pass. The book of Revelation is written in the form which is called predictive prophecy. It is written to his servants, us, to show them things which must shortly come to pass. These things will happen, not may or could or perhaps might happen. They must happen because they're written in the word of God and the word of God is eternal. The word of God is perfect. There is no changing these things that are written. There's no altering them. There's no delaying them or denying them. They must come to pass. As much as we may not want them to, they will come to pass. Our, not dilemma, but our opportunity now is to decide. If we reject Christ now and wait until the time of tribulation to accept him as, as, as our Lord and Savior, two things. First, it's going to be harder. If you keep rejecting him, keep refusing his call, it's going to get harder and harder and harder for you to receive him and say yes and if you continue to do that, you will miss out on the rapture of the church. You'll wind up going through the tribulation, and there's a very good chance it will cost you your life. If you wait till the tribulation to go ahead and accept Christ, there's a strong possibility it will cost you your life. Things that must shortly come to pass. Shortly comes to pass doesn't quite mean that they're happening quite soon. What it means is they're going to happen together, and they're going to happen rapidly. The meaning here is that once these events start... They will occur in rapid succession. Bang, 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 bang. John Walverd writes, Shortly is the ancient Greek. Its word is antakiai, which means quickly or suddenly coming to pass, indicating rapidity of execution after beginning taking place. The idea is not that the event may occur soon, but that when it does, it will be happen real quickly. And then Jesus continues, He sent and signified this word by his angel. Revelation, it's a book that's filled with signs and wonders. The angel or the messenger, Angelos, was a sign signified to John that this book came from God. Remember, as we read through this book and especially the future chapters, the chapters that deal with the future, what John saw in heaven could only be written in his understanding of today in the language that he knew, the vernacular, the language of the people, the terms of the people. He knew and had the knowledge which he had, but there are things that were written in the book that he could not possibly understand uh, because, don't forget, John wrote this 2,000 years ago. Giant hailstones falling to earth. How is John going to describe that? What are they? Is that nuclear fallout? You know, he didn't know anything about asteroids or volcanic eruption or lava flows or nuclear explosions, so he did the best that he could. He didn't know about bombs that could destroy entire cities. This wasn't around during his time. So he described things in the language and the understanding of his day. When God wanted to signify that this message was from him, he sent John an angel 
And because John was familiar with angels. And he sent it unto his servant, John. Remember, John is writing this book while on the Isle of Patmos. And he's actually had a vision in chapter one of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's interesting. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. But here, verse two. John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw, simply stated, John is going to record three things. He's going to record the word. He will record the truth of the word, and he will record how prophecy was and is being fulfilled today. Don't forget, you're going back 2,000 years. John the Apostle, or John the Revelator, or John the Divine, is receiving this message angelically. He will write of Jesus. He is who he says he is. He did what the scriptures said he was going to do. He will give credibility to the deity of Christ. John will. He is a witness to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he will tell us what the angel shows him. God gave the prophecy to Jesus. Jesus sent an angel to give this prophecy to John. John will give it to us in book form. In the world of antiquities, this is called providence. That means there's a line tracing back to its origin. In the world of criminal justice system, this is called the chain of evidence. Just giving validity to the book of Revelation. Verse 3, blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. As with all scripture, there is an inherent blessings to those who read it. This one, though, just happens to be a spoken prophecy. And don't forget, in the olden days, you know, we go to church on Sunday morning, we go to our Bibles, or they can print out a lesson for us. <laughs> That's not what they had back in those days. In those days, like when Paul wrote a letter to Corinthians, uh, he had it sent by messenger, scribe, they sent it to a messenger, the messenger read it in the church, and then another messenger took it to another church, maybe uh, Philippi, and it was read there. That's how when he says, blessed is he that reads it and he that hears the words of this prophecy. As with all scripture, there are blessings and there's a special blessing here, but there's two things you got to do. The requirements to obtain this blessing are not just reading it or hearing it, but one must read it, hear it, and must keep what's written in the Amplified, and who keeps themselves true to the things which are written in it, in the prophecy, heeding them and laying them to heart. Many people shy away from the book of Revelation. They don't understand it, or they get intimidated by it because they see in the seven letters where Jesus is really uh, condemning the churches and he's doing bad things to the churches because of their disobedience. Well, then you haven't really had a good teaching on the seven letters to the seven churches. And we're going to change that. We're going to fix that mindset, that erroneous mindset where you think all Jesus does is rag on these churches. You are going to see a Savior that has a supernatural divine love and care for his churches. The way that he rebukes them, the way that he chastises them, the way that he causes them to repent, it's truly amazing. Oh, it's, it's a way that only God could do. But once again, I'm ahead of myself over there also. This is the first of the seven blessings, by the way, found in the book of Revelation. There are seven blessings. The first one is, blessed is he who reads and keeps or takes to heart the words of this book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. This is so rich. I think I took like an hour in Bible study to explain it, but we'll just nibble at it. Suddenly, we go from a message to the servants of God, now to the seven churches, and not just any churches. Uh, these are the seven churches which are in Asia Minor. Not all of Asia, just Western Asia. There were other churches within this area, such as Colossae and Heropolis and Troas, but the letters did not include them. 
So if the message is to the servants, and then more specifically to the churches, we can then make the connection that the church includes the servants of God. Amen. You are a servant of God. Now, you think you're a child of God, and you're favored, and you're blessed, and you're highly favored, and all of that is true. But if you forget the fact that you are a servant of God, you've missed it. And I just noted this in a certain church recently. Uh, they, they tend to rule rather than to serve their authority. Yes, by all means, but it's not so they can rule. It's so that they can serve Jesus. He didn't come to rule. He came to be served. No, he came to serve. That's what Jesus Christ did. He was the servant. He was the shepherd. My goodness, my time is going so quickly. Also included is here the greeting, grace and peace. It was a typical Christian greeting during this time period. Grace and peace from who? I love this. John is representing God. He's representing Jesus. And here he is. He's greeting us on their behalf. And John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So he's greeting us on behalf of Jesus Christ. But not just on behalf of Jesus Christ. He's greeting us also from the spirits which are before the throne of God. I don't think I'm going to have time to get into that here. Well, maybe. Let me try. Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. There is a certain anointing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That same anointing that's upon Jesus Christ also happens to be upon the body of Christ, his church. Let's read it and see what it looks like. Isaiah 11, verses 2 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord, one, talking about Jesus, will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom, two. The Spirit of understanding, three. The Spirit of counsel, four. The Spirit of might, five. The Spirit of the knowledge, Six and seven, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So there's a sevenfold manifestation of the spirit of God that's upon Jesus. Basically, we have just read the anointing that is upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If that anointing is upon the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? It's upon his church also. The spirit of the Lord, number one, the spirit of wisdom, number two, the spirit of understanding, number three, the spirit of counsel, number four, the spirit of might, number five, the spirit of knowledge, number six, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. You have all of these. You are to use them to build yourself a great brand. No, you are to use them to serve others. You have the wisdom. You have the understanding. You walk in the fear of the Lord. You've got the spirit of the Lord inside you. All of these things God has given you so that you could help him represent the kingdom of God on the earth so that you could do a better job of representing him. The sevenfold spirit represents the spiritual empowerment of the Messiah on the Messiah. That's what the Holy Spirit upon Jesus Christ looked like when he walked the earth. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit upon Christ. And like I said, guess what? It's upon his church as well. And from Jesus Christ, he's still greeting, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. John has the audacity, no, John has the anointing, the favor, the calling, the trust to greet us on behalf of Jesus Christ, on behalf of not just Jesus, but Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah. What John is saying here is, I am greeting you. I am speaking for the Messiah. And isn't that what it's all about? I mean, come on, saints, if you've never gotten the revelation that you're a sinner, I know the church has done a poor job of not identifying us in that role without Christ. If you've never gotten the revelation that the church is a sinner, then the Messiah means nothing to you. 
But once you understand the fact that you are estranged from God because of your sin, you don't have a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you can't have fellowship with God, all because of sin. Mankind, as a sinner, needs a Messiah. John introduces us to the Messiah right here by greeting us on his behalf. The prophetic ministry of Jesus, the Christ, he is the prophet. He is the intercessor. Okay, I'm out of time. I am not going to get done with this. Let me just encourage you. We're going to pick up on this. It's uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, where John is introducing us to Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten from the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, and also unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We're going to pick up on that next week. All of those are so important. I encourage you, study those first five verses in John chapter 1. Study the next five verses, because I'm sure we're going to get done with that next week. But until then, read the book of Revelation. Understand you are a member of the church. You are a member of the body of Christ. He loves you. He guides you. He guards you. He protects you. He perfects that which concerns you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.